Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Hamish, how you going, mate? I'm doing well. Yeah, going well. Another week. Going well. Another week gone by. How's your running going? Uh, or So I started last week. Oh, I haven't done much this week. Here <laughs> it's, we go. it's already gone. No, I've had, I wasn't even going to bring it up, but I've had like pretty bad back pain this week, so I haven't really been doing anything. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm going to go see a physio, um, which I've been putting off for a while because I've had you have. I've had back pain for probably, I don't know, it's like a few couple months, but it's gotten really bad this week, so... Yeah, it's, it's gotten to the point where I always postpone stuff, like health stuff, until it affects my ability to work, <laughs> and then and then I'm like, okay, I, I better deal with this. It's probably not a good strategy, <laughs> but uh, well, it's it's a strategy. It's it's we'll a it that way. it's a strategy. It's probably not good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so yeah. I'll, Damn. So still still pretty pretty nasty. You should you actually should. Yeah, Hamish, yeah. This is today a, you're going to book an appointment I, I with booked a physiotherapist. It. I actually booked it. This oh, you already morning. did. It was so bad this oh, week nice. that I got up and the first thing I did was book an appointment. Um, uh, okay. So yeah, I'm a little bit sleepy because I haven't I haven't slept very well the last few days. But um, but that's okay. Damn. That's all right. Sorry to hear that, mate. That's okay. It's no good. I understand how crippling back pain can be. So yeah. I'm sure. A yep. lot, a lot of our viewers would as well. Yeah, it's quite it's common. Pretty common. But yeah, yeah, it sucks when things start messing with your sleep. Yeah, and you just can't can't get a good night's rest in. Yeah. Oh well, you'll be right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be well, fine. I'll have like that to- Tony Abbott. You remember when? Ah, uh, mate, shit happens. <laughs> yeah. What, what do I right, do if I mate. have anxiety? Don't worry about it, mate. Just don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> just don't worry about it, mate. <laughs> Man cures anxiety globally. Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right, Hamish, what on earth are we talking about today? We've got some interesting stories, actually. We've got some China macroeconomic news, which we'll dive into because mm-hmm. they've got some very interesting statistics coming out over there. Um, Moody's, more um, credit ratings news. Mm. Just just when you thought just when you thought we couldn't have a boring enough week for Moody's <laughs> to make it in. Yeah, when it rains it pours. We're gonna do it two weeks in a row of credit ratings. Woohoo! <laughs> Woo! Get excited, everybody. No. This is gonna be the best <laughs> podcast episode. No, but um, um but to, yeah, well we've got that and then we've also got this is maybe more exciting on the on the retail side, a new meme stock. Is in town. Oh, okay. So you know, you know, Ooh. Nvidia wasn't enough. One for twenty twenty three wasn't enough. So we've got another one which we can um, talk through um, for sure. Nice. And actually, to save us even more, I've got a really interesting story about um, AI generated music, like AI oh. copying the sounds of people like Taylor Swift or Drake and that kind of thing. So we'll talk about this and what Great. the industry is kind of doing about it. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, lots to talk about. Um, Hamish Hodder, who is the sponsor of today's episode? So, today's episode is sponsored by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. 
uh, access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks, uh, view buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm, uh, screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics, access 10 years of financial data and company filings, manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Uh, click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. Uh, and I will just say, Seeking Alpha is extremely useful uh, in earnings season, which we're kind of going through at the moment, for looking at transcripts and, and looking at analysis and news for um, all the results coming out for different companies. So um, yeah, especially if you're someone who loves to dive into what companies are doing, um, yeah, Seeking Alpha is, uh, is a good place mm. for you to go. Yeah, I've been using it heaps. We're redoing some of our course content, as uh, as most people are probably aware at the moment, and um, that has been such a lifesaver. It's just so nice having the ten years worth of financials. It's so handy. Yeah, it's so nice. Um, very very handy uh, analysis tool. So yeah, thank you to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring. All right, Hamish, where on earth do we start? Let's um let let's start with some uh, some economic data that came out of China this time. So we I don't think we've mm. we don't spend too much time talking about um, economic data from China. We we kind of uh, regularly cover the the US and Australia, but. Um, Every now and then. And the UK. And the UK, that's true. And even Europe, actually, sometimes as well. But whenever there's mm. something interesting or, or particularly kind of um, that, that stands out in other regions or other areas, um, it's always interesting to take a look. And in China's case, they actually reported uh, something that we're not seeing a whole lot of around the world uh, at the moment, which is no. deflation. Not inflation, deflation, uh, which they mm. reported uh, in July. So... The consumer price index in China fell 0.3% in July from a year ago. Uh, it was up 0.2% when compared to June, um, but it fell uh, on, on a year-over-year basis. And it's actually the first year-on-year decline since 2021. So um, mm. that that's interesting because, of course, yeah, it, it's surprising to see a, a, any region go through deflation at the moment. Um, but they also had deflation... Um, last in 2021, where for most countries it was um, it was in 2020. So just to give a bit of mm. context on kind of China's inflation history over the last couple of years, um, their inflation was actually up over five percent before the pandemic. So their economy was running really hot, booming, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely booming. Um, it's been you know an absolute beast of an economy, um, almost rivaling the US now. Uh, and then uh, it essentially fell into deflation briefly. Uh, in 2021 before rising back up to 2.8% in late 2022. And then since then, inflation has cooled and is now uh, negative. So yeah, they've certainly not had uh, the inflation crisis that um, you know many other parts around the world that we've spoken about, the US here in Australia. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons mm. behind that, which we'll kind of, we'll probably get into. Um, yeah, yeah. The- I guess to, to set the scene maybe for that, I guess... The, the reason why we've seen inflation across most of the major economies in the world is because kind of concurrently you had two you had both sides of the supply demand equation being pushed in the inflationary direction so you had supply constrained um, during the you know pandemic and the year or so after so you had su- supply was down for a lot of things 
you know, you remember the talk about the chip shortage and consumer electronics and all that sort of stuff, supply was down. And then at the same time, you have demand up. And the way that demand was up is because the central banks of the world printed a lot of money. And in one way or another, that money found its way through to the citizens, the end consumer. So while people were, you know, they were doing it tough, they also got a little bit of a boost, an injection of cash. And you can look at things like the US um, savings rate. It has this massive spike, um, very out of the ordinary. And that's because people were essentially gifted money. And what that led to is a major increase in demand. Like people had the cash and they started spending it. So you have supply constrained at the same time you have demand elevated and both of those forces are inflationary. And so what do you know? You get inflation. Hmm. Whereas as I understand it in China, there was a slightly different, uh, there was a slightly different set of factors and a slightly different uh, supply demand equation. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I don't actually know a whole lot about the specific stimulus that they provided, but as far as like kind of demand side stimulus, so consumer stimulus, there really wasn't anything anywhere near the scale of, of, of the U S or the UK or, or, or Australia. Um, and as you mentioned, that's, you know, a part of the reason why inflation has been so persistent, even as the cost of living has risen so much, say in Australia and interest rates have gone up so much because of those extra savings that people have from COVID, um, the the demand has just been very very persistent, even though um, you know costs have gone up a lot. You haven't really seen people cutting back in a in a major way yet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So that was kind of headline. CPI was uh, fell kind of 03 percent. Core CPI, which excludes uh, the volatile food and energy categories, uh, actually rose a point eight percent. So the core CPI was still positive very similar story everywhere right you've got yeah. now core inflation being higher than um than than overall inflation because uh energy is is very very negative for for most places around the world uh the president and chief uh, economist of pinpoint asset management said uh both the cpi and ppi are in deflationary territory uh the economic momentum continues to weaken due to lackluster domestic demand um, so mm. what does he mean by lackluster domestic demand? Uh, there's is a quote from uh, Louise Liu, the lead economist at Oxford Economics. Uh, she said, uh, China's weak demand f- uh, follow through in Q2 can be attributed to its relative, relatively contained demand side stimulus during COVID. So that's kind of what we just spoke about. Years of regulatory yep. tightening and ongoing uh, housing correction, which has been another element of the the Chinese economy, which is this massive housing crisis um, with these you know huge um, uh, uh, property development companies um, struggling. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the the main factors going into why you know China's in a in a bit of a different situation. Um, yeah. In the US. So unlike most of the economies that we've been talking about, where they have a, a crazy strong demand side still from all the factors that I was talking about before that we just discussed, in China, they just don't have that same demand issue. In fact, the um, CCP is now under pressure and thinking about putting in, in place policies that actually encourage people to go out there and spend their money. I think mm. there was... <clears throat> I, can't, I, I need to... I should have written written this down, but I think there was like um, uh, some some uh, 
you know, special incentive to, they're thinking about some incentive to buy like uh, electronic or appliances or new cars or something like that. I'm not exactly sure, but they're actually thinking about encouraging demand, like putting in place measures to actually boost that up because that's what they're not seeing. Whereas over here, we've got still lots of demand and they are just not seeing much demand at all. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The country also reported a 14.5% decline in exports and a 12.4% decline in imports. Mm. Uh, and on the import side, the decline is partly due or mostly due, I think, to uh, the uh, declines in commodity prices. Um, uh, but uh, it was also noted that it was uh, partly related to a 0.4% decline in volume of actual imports, um, which kind of speaks yep. to the, the decline in, in uh, internal demand for, for goods. You also have manufacturing activity in China. Um, it contracted for the fourth straight month in July. So, again, more on this, I guess, supply side of things. Well, I guess supply goes, like, if demand is not there, then supply goes down. But, yeah, you've got uh, you've got factors on the supply side as well. It's interesting seeing the exports and imports both slumping at the same time. Mm. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Do we have anything else for, yeah. for uh, what's going on over um, in China? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I, I saw an article, Dan Wang, a Shanghai-based economist at Hang Seng Bank, said the inflation and trade numbers were a reflection of lower purchasing power and weak consumer confidence. Um, the only other thing that I've got that I had a look at is that, oh, it's just noted that further data releases uh, next week will provide a broad overview of economic activity in July, including industrial production and retail sales. Right. So there's probably a if you want to look into it there'll be a, an update in the next week or so. Yeah. Um but I think yeah that's just about all I had. It's just interesting to contrast kind of China with the rest of the world and how they yeah. how they how they're different but um And uh, yeah well and, sorry yeah. And we'll, you, we'll, you go. All I was going to say is we'll be able to watch potentially over the next year or so how uh China is impacted by the US because yeah we haven't really seen the US you know, stumble economically at all, really. It's still a really strong um, economy. Um, the Fed is still potentially doing more rate hikes. Um, but if that tends to shift um, and the US uh, continues to take in less um, imports from China or less exports from China, uh, then seeing how those, those dynamics work will be um, something we can kind of watch as well. Mm. Yeah. Very good, Hamish. Where should we uh, move to next? Um, like, like give to us this Moody's about? story because um, I can't. Yeah. We, we kind of made fun of Moody's last week, and I think they heard us because we were saying that they were the only <laughs> one that hadn't changed the Eddie ratings in a while. Well, at least they hadn't changed yeah. the 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 government uh, credit rating in a while. So we're kind of saying, yeah. are they actually doing anything over at Moody's? And then. <laughs> Now they have done They're, something. <laughs> like, oh crap! Young investors podcast have called us out. We better, <laughs> we better do something. So they they responded in a big way. Hamish, they responded right. in a big way. Wow. Um, the headline says Moody's cuts ratings of ten U.S. banks and puts some big names on downgrade watch. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it says here, Moody's cut the credit ratings of a host of small and mid-sized U.S. banks late Monday and placed several big Wall Street names on negative review. The firm lowered the ratings of 10 banks by one rung, while major lenders, Bank of New York, Mellon, U.S. Bank Corp, State Street, Tru- uh, Truist Financial, Cullen Frost Bankers, and Northern Trust are now under review for a potential downgrade. Moody's also changes outlooks to negative for 11 banks, including Capital One, Citizens Financial, and Fifth Third Bancorp. 
Among the smaller lenders receiving an official ratings downgrade were M&T Bank, Pinnacle Financial, BOK Financial, and Webster Financial. Um, so they have just come in and swung the axe. And uh, I'll, right. t- I'll tell you a little bit more about um, <clears throat> about why, why they've decided to do this. Mm. Um, the quote is, US banks continue to contend with interest rate and asset liability management risks with implications for liquidity and capital as the wind down of unconventional monetary policy drains system-wide deposits and higher interest rates depress the value of fixed rate assets, Moody's analysts Jill Katina and Anna Azov said in the accompanying research notes. So, mm. It's, I guess it's pretty much exactly what we've already seen happen, what, what we saw play out earlier in the year. Um, you know, a few banks, we saw um, a couple of banks in particular exposed, they left themselves exposed pretty much um, to a lot of government bonds that had gone down a lot in value because of interest rates going up. And as depositors withdrew their funds, um, they had to sell those bonds because they needed the money. So they sold the bonds at a massive loss. They didn't want to, but they had to because they had to keep the money flowing uh, for all these withdrawals. But in doing so, they sold all the bonds at a massive loss. And that they then have to report that, which then sparks a lot of other depositors <laughs> going, oh my gosh, we better take the money out while we still can. Look, they're having to sell their bonds at a massive loss. Yeah, whole lot more depositors try to get out and then eventually that collapsed the bank because yeah. they just can't raise enough money and they just go boop. And then we saw, um, was it First Republic that had a similar issue, but it was with mortgage-backed securities. So again, they had all of these long-term fixed assets at really low rates and a bank is kind of, they, they loan out money at rates and then they, they obviously have to give interest to people who deposit money. And recently you've had interest rates go up, but they've got all these fixed assets at, at really low interest rates. So they're, what they're earning is on those fixed assets is kind of staying very low, but what they have to give out in interest to depositors has just gone up because that's variable. Like the uh, savings oh. rates are completely variable. The fixed deposits, mm-hmm. the short-term fixed deposits, all variable. So... Um, mm. At least to some extent, all the banks who have any long-term fixed assets, like long-term thirty-year mortgages, have seen their yep. earnings just get just crushed by this this pressure of of rate rises. And yeah, as you mm. said, for some banks, if that results in in people pulling money out, then they actually have to sell the assets for seventy cents on the on the dollar, mm. rather than being able to hold them to to maturity. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. If they signed up for a whole lot of government bonds in twenty twenty for what? <laughs> Half a percent, yeah, <laughs> and that's 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 all they're gonna get. <laughs> they're not gonna get yeah. more than that. They that's all they're gonna get. Um, but yeah, you're right. Savings rates um, mm. are now a lot higher, so they're taking a loss. Yep. Um, what else to say? Meanwhile, many banks' Q2 results showed growing profitability pressures. Uh, yeah, growing profitability pressures that will reduce their ability to generate internal capital. This comes as a mild U.S. recession is on the horizon for early 2024, and asset quality looks to looks set to decline from solid but unsustainable levels, with particular risks in some banks' commercial real estate portfolios. That was also a quote in the uh, research note. Mm. 
Um, CNBC notes, though, uh, authorities went to great lengths to restore confidence. That's what we saw the Federal Reserve step in and say, hey, it's all okay. We're going to come to the rescue. Um, Moody's warned that banks with substantial unrealized losses that are not captured by their regulatory capital ratios may still be susceptible to sudden losses of market or consumer confidence in a high interest rate environment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was the big hoo-ha, wasn't it? Is that this stuff, you know, held to maturity, <laughs> it kind of bypasses yeah. the, the regulatory stress tests because for all intents and purposes, like the bank does want to hold these assets until maturity. Yeah. So they're just like, oh, that's okay. You're going to hold that bond for 20 years? Yeah, all good. No stress. But in reality, they have been forced to sell them to raise money. So yeah. it's a little bit of a hoo-ha. Around and, and of course, they're going to want to hide those unrealized losses uh, because... Uh, they don't want to tell people. Yeah. No, a lot of companies want to continue to report bigger earnings because bigger yeah. earnings is likely resulted to the stock price going up, tied to their compensation, so of course, if they can, if there's a legal way for them to hide losses, um, then they will do it. And 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 yeah, held to maturity assets is kind of one way that they can do it. And and as we've said, it's in any other environment, it's kind of fine because <laughs> in any other environment, in a declining interest rate environment that's been like the most of the last thirty years, those assets become more valuable. So it's not yeah. as if it's it's a very unique kind of situation that that the banks are kind of finding themselves in um yeah yeah true i hadn't thought about it the other way around it's like an ace up the sleeve well well yeah it's uh i mean it, the, the the downside is that people can refinance so people can refinance at lower rates yeah, on the way true. down whereas people aren't going to refinance a 30-year fixed mortgage on the way back up but yeah it, true. but those those assets don't have any kind of unrealized um uh loss risk because it's not as if mm. there's this temporary kind of decline in in the value of those assets mm. interesting what else have I got? Uh, da, 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 da. The Federal Reserve in July lifted its benchmark borrowing rate to 525 to 5.5%. Yes, we know that. Having tightened monetary policy aggressively over the past year and a half. Yes, we know that. <laughs> in a bid to rein in sky-high inflation. We know that too. Mm. Um, we expect, quote, we expect banks' asset liability management risks to be exacerbate, to be exacerbated by the significant increase in the Federal Reserve's policy rate as well as the ongoing reduction in banking system reserves at the Fed and relatedly deposits uh, and relatedly deposits because of ongoing QT Moody said in its report regional banks are at greater risk because uh, since they have comparatively low regulatory capital Moody's noted adding that institutions with a higher share of fixed rate assets on the balance sheet are more constrained in terms of profitability and ability to grow capital and continue lending. Yep. There you go. Um, I don't think I have anything more to add on this story. Right. Just them yarning about potentially going into a recession in 2024, but who knows if that will happen. Yep. That is just all speculation, speculation, speculation. All right. Well, um, good job, Moody's. You've done something. Who's, so who's next week? S&P. We're going to hear from S&P. S&P. Everybody's looking at credit ratings agencies. They're, they're, they're all getting, the they're all getting free do marketing. Something. They're, getting, they're getting free yeah. marketing. They basically did nothing, but they're getting free marketing at the press for weeks. So S&P's yeah. going to come out and downgrade. Now they'll downgrade 20... I don't know, some yeah. sector, like 20 restaurant companies. They'll just come out of nowhere. And just 
downgrades Apple's corporate bonds to D. <laughs> Wait, what? Hang on a Imagine if they just made a typo in like one of the press releases and they just put D instead of A. Oh, no. And they just killed a stock. <laughs> Hang on. Apple's in so default. Funny. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. What? what the heck? Stock just yeah, goes no, to actually, zero. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> Fat finger. Yeah. Whoopsies. Yeah. No. Um, I wonder what had happened. Surely nothing. Surely no one's no one would start selling Apple stock because of I don't know what Moody's or if Moody's like fat fingered nah. it. Yeah, I don't know. That would be pretty funny. Maybe for like five minutes be there'd funny. be a bit of a dip. But then I think people would probably figure it out. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's kinda like those times where a big institution puts through a like a buy order incorrectly, adds an extra zero by mistake or mm. something. You see this like massive spike yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think those get corrected though. I think there's uh, actually a way to reverse that because I think they okay. do. I think there's yeah, actually yeah. a tolerance for that. It doesn't actually stay mm. like that. That it gets reversed or something. I'm not quite sure how yeah. that happens. The intern Could makes a mistake out or something. Of my arse right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> the intern makes a mistake or something. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it was Jimmy again. Sorry. Bloody Jimmy. Put the decimal place in the uh, wrong spot. Yeah. All right, tell tell me, Hamish, tell me about this uh, this new meme stock in town. Yes, yeah, so we've uh, had what have we had? We've had GameStop, we've had AMC, we've had Hertz, we've had Bed Bath Beyond, yep. we've had Blackberry, Nvidia, Blackberry. Man, there's a, there's a I'm lot. I'm trying to think of there, any. There's, I'm there's try- a lot at this point. Yeah, there's there's, there's a, a there's a lot of meme them. stocks. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of do you like the name meme? I think meme stock. It's a kind of good. It's a good name. It, it perfectly represents exactly what's going on, which is just a bunch yeah. of people who are not really that serious. Degenerate gamblers. Did that? I was going to put it a bit lighter, but yes, degenerate, <laughs> degenerate gamblers <laughs> of Wall Street bets, like us at the Vegas casinos. Yep, exactly right. Um, <laughs> exactly right. But um, yeah, so we've got a new one this this uh, this week. Tupperware Brand Corporation. Uh, which is, of course, a, a company that's uh, been around for quite a few decades, known for their uh, revolutionary plastic storage containers, um, <laughs> which, you know, in 2023, <laughs> you know, plastic food storage containers doesn't uh, hold that much. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's not exactly that crazy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, of course, um, I, I was watching a bit of um, Plain Bagel's video on this. He, he said that, uh, well, plastic containers last forever, uh, and there's a lot of uh, lot of competitors uh, making plastic containers yeah. now. So it's uh, while it might have been um, a, a quite a good business, uh, you know, some some time ago, uh, over time uh, that competitive advantage is kind of uh, and repeat customer uh, uh, orders has kind of dwindled over time. So mm. um, as yeah. is the case with most meme stocks, although not the case with Nvidia, which we covered a little while ago, but as is the case with most meme stocks, it's a company that's you know kind of nose diving into the ground um, mm. and uh, and that's when it kind of picks up um, quite a bit of attention. Uh, yep. So the company has been struggling for quite a while now. Uh, its peak revenues were in uh, 2013. Uh, it had $2.7 billion of, of sales, which uh, that's, a, that's a lot of, it's a lot of plastic containers. It's a lot they, of plastic containers. <laughs> yeah. They, they also own a number of other brands as well uh, outside of plastic containers. So um, I'm sure um, right. it's not all uh, plastic containers. But uh, they've been in decline uh, <laughs> since then. And uh, they had uh, they reported revenue of $1.3 billion in 2022. So quite away from their right. um, peak. Uh, along with the declining revenue, their profitability uh, has also collapsed. Uh, in 2013, again, back in their peak, they reported $274 million dollars uh, worth of uh, earnings, 
however, in the last five years, wow. they've been unprofitable in three of those five years. Um, and right. the last 24 months, they've been consistently unprofitable. Um, Can I just say, if you're selling plastic containers... <laughs> Mm. plastic containers how can you not like if you make like 2.7 billion dollars how can you not take home like 2 billion dollars <laughs> like come on <laughs> it's got to be how much would it how much realistically would it cost them to make a plastic container it would be like peanuts yeah i that's it's, i mean it'd that, be like a cent to that, make one container that, surely that is a that is a very good point i don't know what's going on inside <laughs> well actually that is actually is kind of funny that you mentioned that because one of the criticisms of the company has been that their reporting is extremely opaque there's there's no oh, okay. um if you look at their balance sheet it's kind of funny it just says current assets and then other current assets so everything's just oh dumped everything's just all the lines are just dumped into other categories so there's a lot of lack of clarity on what that assets sucks. they have, how they're spending money, even just categories of how they're spending money. So mm. it's funny you mentioned that because it is kind of a it's been one of the criticisms of the Very company okay. is like what the hell are you spending money on? Like what what assets do you actually have? Yeah. What are these other assets? Are these real assets or are these just you know just a, a bunch of air that you've somehow you know s- snuck into the balance yeah. sheet over time? That's a red flag. Yeah, that's that's intangibles, is. dude. Strong brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like the value of their their patents or something from from plastic yeah. containers from the 1950s, from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are still worth Don't. billions. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. When when <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna make we're gonna make bank off this plastic container idea. Yeah. <laughs> no one else anyway, is sorry. ever gonna make plastic containers. No one can <laughs> <No>. ever. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because it would have been. Obviously, uh, I'm sure they had some patents at the time, but uh, that obviously Probably. doesn't exist anymore. And I guess it's one of those things where even if you did have a patent, it's really hard to, I guess, defend a, a, a patent like that. Like, how would you? I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I would imagine most plastic containers are probably being manufactured out of China now, and there's just, you know, there's no real branding to them. It's just no one has any brand loyalty or anything. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Um, that no, was coming for a while. Yeah, no, no one has any brand loyalty for a plastic container because it's a plastic container. Like, what's the like? This, you know, what's the worst <laughs> yeah. that's going to happen? You're not going to tell your friends. Oh, that's not the Coles one. That's the Tupperware one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No that one. That, that one only lasts four million years. That one's going to last four point seven million years. <laughs> okay, I'll get that one. Oh, uh, so funny. No, you're yeah. right. You're right. But um. Yeah, it, it is. So, yeah, so the, the, they've been struggling for a little while. And then, you know, on top of uh, their un, uh, not being profitable, um, they've been kind of loading the boat on, on debt. So the combination of obviously unprofitability of and, and lots of debt is, um, is, is, a, is, is a nasty combination. Um, so they have 700 million or about 700 million in long-term debt and they have uh, about 100 million in cash. So they're... Uh, their net debt is, uh, you know, over almost six hundred um, six hundred million dollars uh, in a company that's also losing money. Um, so on the back of that, uh, the stock fell over ninety five percent in the last twelve months. So um, the stock's been uh, absolutely just collapsing. And there's a couple of interesting milestones that I thought we'd talk about through that um, twelve months before we get to what's happened recently, which is uh, it's kind of um, it's been uh, inducted into the meme stock hall of fame. <laughs> um, but uh, the biggest drop for the stock came in uh, November of 2022 
Uh, so the stock dropped 50% in a day on their earnings. Uh, and the reason Ooh. for that uh, was uh, the earnings were not great. But on top of that, uh, the company also announced that they may soon fail to meet some of the financial covenants on their credit agreements. So... Um, oh. Yes, that's a problem. So most debt deals that companies make will have kind of certain conditions um, that need to be met, whether it's um, uh, you know certain revenue requirements or certain uh, leverage ratios. They can't have a certain amount of debt compared to earnings. Uh, and, and that's the case with Tupperware's uh, debt. So they had uh, a, a minimum requirement for the net leverage ratio. So the net debt divided by their EBITDA kind of earnings figure um, so if that got uh, too high, so if they have too much debt compared to their earnings, um, then essentially the company would become insolvent, right? So the 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 the, the creditor would be wow. able to, um, or yeah, the creditor would be able to call the debt essentially, um, which is wow. an important thing to understand when you talk about companies having debt loads because it's not as if well if they just if they just struggle for a year or two it's okay the debt's not due for five years you have to consider are there covenants in the debt that could be breached and cause the debt to be called today, uh, not in five years. That's insane. Um, so, yeah, it's a, just a kind of a, a thing that um, is Good thing of, to think about. Yeah, and, and it's absolutely relevant for companies that are that are really struggling, that are no longer profitable, mm. that have they've seen consistent declines in their, in their profitability and they've kind of taken on more debt. Um, so that was in November of 2022. Uh, in April of this year, the company reiterated the likelihood of it becoming uh, insolvent because of um, failing to breach, uh, failing to meet these covenants. And um, they also uh, failed to comply with a bunch of uh, uh, requirements for their New York Stock Exchange listing. The oh, first come one, on. yeah. Well, the first one's kind of funny. They failed to file their 10K, their, their annual report. What? <laughs> Um, what are they doing? Which is, which is funny. I mean, I, I think a company only does that if there's something really, really bad. <laughs> they need to hide. <laughs> they need well, to hide. I, I'm not, I don't know about you, but we talk about management, how important management is. I'm not trust, I don't know anything about the management, by mm. the way, but immediately from what you've told me so far, mm. uh, they don't, they haven't earned my trust. No. Like really opaque uh, reporting. Or if if they get around to it, it seems like <laughs> if they file, <laughs> yeah, you know, not filing a ten k, like yeah, uh, I don't know. Even this sounds dodgy. Even the the in November of twenty twenty two when they were, they they said that they might breach their their financial covenants, um, that was kind of I think it was on page three that they said this. It was like the last page oh of the re- release, and the the first page of the release had kind of a a quote from the CEO, and it was. Fairly positive, which is positive, which is kind of funny to it's see. A great time over at Tupperware. We're doing well. You know, we're selling lots <laughs> of plastic containers. All's looking good, and we might just uh, we, might we might be, be bankrupt. bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but gloss over that. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're having a good time. You know, morale's high. Yeah, Some containers are flying out the door <laughs> until we go bust next month. But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, so they, they failed to file their their 10K. Um, they were then given 30 days to fix it. And in that uh, release in April, they said they're not going to release it in the 30 days. So they... Um, what? I, I, I Actually, I can't remember if I, I checked this, but I don't think they've still released their, their 10K. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm not, I'm not actually sure on that. Um, but at least back in April, still- they, they were at least a couple of months late on that. Um, the New York Stock Exchange also has a number of re- other requirements for the, the company to be listed. So one of them is uh, maintaining a market cap over 50 million, and they fell below that. 
Um, the equity has to be over fifty million. Um, the stock uh, has to have a stock price of above a dollar for um, it, it can't go below a dollar for more than thirty days. So these are just kind right. of requirements for being listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Interesting. Um, compared to being kind of delisted and becoming just a penny stock um, traded mm. on the pink sheets. I don't think they use those anymore. But um, but yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. But uh, um, interesting. So yeah, so so and and all of this is really the result of the company stumbling, but also just the stock price completely cratering. Um, is of course yep. kind of put them under some of these requirements. Um, mm. And so yeah, the the company's been on the brink of bankruptcy, and apparently that's now a buy indicator for retail investors. So of um, course it is. Yeah, hopefully you've all got that on your checklist. Um, company high debts, untrustworthy management team on the brink of bankruptcy. Almost about to be delisted. Not even filing their annual report. That's that's one of my fa- <laughs> that, that that's, that's so good. That's, that's so, so good. funny. <laughs> not only not filing, but then stating in an announcement that they had no intention of filing. <laughs> <laughs> so good, uh, um, but uh, yeah, apparently these are. These but do are, you want to buy this stock? Yes, please. But they're they're buy indicators <laughs> because uh, this this stock has now surged over seven hundred percent in the last three weeks. So obviously, you know, it's fallen ninety five percent in the last twelve months. So it's not anywhere near, you know, back where it was. Um, but mm. uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly had an uptick in the last three weeks, seven hundred percent. Um, crazy. And, um, actually, interestingly, like a year ago, it was at $11.37 per share. Yeah. Now it's at $4.24, up from, up 60 from 64 cents. cents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, 62 it's, cents. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's recovered, you know, quite a significant amount of the, the decline. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it just does go to show, right? Like if the stock falls 95%, and then it goes up seven hundred percent. It's not even halfway back up. Um, mm. So the rise has to be, you know, quite considerably larger than than the decline. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I tried to find kind of why this happened, and there really wasn't anything that that happened. I mean, obviously there was some of the things we've spoken about, but in terms of anything that happened three weeks ago when the surge began, nothing really happened. Uh, there was no announcements, right. as far as I could tell. So it seems to have just gotten picked up on Wall Street bets and what's that other one? The um, uh, I think there's like a there's like a Twitter for for stocks now, stock oh, tweet or something. Is or there fin fin tweet or something like that? Is well, fin tweet? I think is isn't that just used to describe all the finance bros on Twitter? Ah, uh, okay, yeah, right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there there there, there there's there like, there's be, a forum. There I'm not sure what the name is. Finance. It's something along yeah. those lines. Maybe someone can um can can remind me what yeah, it is. But know. um, but yeah, the, obviously it's a bunch of forums where people just uh you know suggest uh, stocks to buy and um and uh, yeah this this one kind of got picked up uh, on some of those forums, um and it, it's potential it's potentially uh, people seeking to to uh, capitalize on another short squeeze, kind of like the GameStop kind of hysteria where you have a stock that's heavily shorted or heavily bet against by hedge funds. Um, and if they can, you know, add enough buying pressure, make the stock go up enough, potentially those funds will close their short positions. And in order to right. close their short positions, they need to actually buy the stock because they've uh, yeah. kind of borrowed the stock. So they need to actually go into the market and buy it. And that can force the stock um, up even mm. further. So that's, that's probably the only explanation besides, you know, pure... Yeah degenerate speculative gambling. <laughs> There's nothing really. Uh, I'm trying to give it a, li- a little bit of like a whiff of some like rational, 
you know, yeah. rational thinking, like one percent rational mm, thinking, it's probably nah. a mistake to even even try and rationalize it. So, yeah, nah, it yeah looks looks like a a, a bit of a short squeeze, hmm. as um as what we've seen with a few of these other meme stocks. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So simple as that. Hey, would yep. you like to hold this in your portfolio, Hamish? Um. I would not. I'd probably opt not to. Um, really? You know, but I, I'm why. I'm holding out. I'm waiting for the 10K. When the 10K comes out, maybe. <laughs> we'll do thorough analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good way to think about things. Yeah. yeah, when the 10K comes out, we'll take a look at it. <laughs> yeah. I like a company that reports their results at least once every three years, you know? Like, at least, <laughs> at least show that, that, you know, they've got some data for us. So, yeah. No, their, their quote is, um, as Warren Buffett says, you should be okay if the stock market shut down tomorrow and that's what they're they're just saying look if you're a long-term investor you should be happy if we don't report earnings for 10 years because you just trust us that much that's no that is a terrible idea (laughs) that's ridiculous it's excellent logic what a ridiculous story file your 10k yep geez yep come on wake up the intern that's putting it together or submitting it to the sec yeah yeah geez Anyway, there we go. Wow. Crazy story. Um, All right. What? uh, Oh, yeah. Let's talk about uh, AI. You want to talk about AI, Hamish? Yeah. What's that again? What's that? um... Uh, It's uh, artificial intelligence. Right. It's basically machine learning. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Wow. It's basically, I say AI, you buy stock. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You got that? Yep. Yep. Okay. So we'll we'll try. Yep. AI, what are you going to do? Buy stock. Nice. Got it. Cool. Right. Nice. Right. Good work, Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, Google and Universal Music Group are negotiating AI-generated music tool, report says. Um, so Google and Universal Music are in talks to license artists' melodies and voices for songs generated by artificial intelligence as the music business tries to monetize one of its biggest threats. Mm. Quote, an artist's voice is often the most valuable part of their livelihood and public persona, and to steal it, no matter what the means, is wrong. Universal Music General Counsel uh, Jeffrey Halston uh, told US lawmakers last month, discussions between Google and Universal Music are in an early stage and no product launch is imminent, but the goal is to develop a tool for fans to create these tracks legitimately and pay the owners the copyrights for it, said people close to the situation. Artists would have the choice to opt in, uh, the people hmm. said. Uh, Warner Music, the third largest music label, has also been talking to Google about a product. Oops. Sorry, that's just my phone. Never mind. Um, Warner Music, the third largest music label, has also been talking to Google about a product, said a person familiar with the matter. Mm. So how interesting is that? Um, They're actually thinking about creating some sort of platform Mm. where AI, well, you can use AI to legitimately create a track with legitimately an artist's voice, except the artist was just never there. But Mm. the artist still gets fair pay and get some sort of royalty. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I've so seen, you could make a track. You could make a track like with Drake. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting because I've seen a bunch of this popping up on on YouTube. And I'm I'm sure it's on TikTok as well, where you'll have 
uh, people have used AI um, with, without permission, but they've used AI to say make Drake sing a a Kanye song, and and vice versa. Or, or even I've seen yep. some with like it'll be like SpongeBob or Homer Simpson's voice singing a song, <laughs> and some of them are really cool. Like especially when you have th- th- this, those ones are a bit silly, but especially when you have like you take like a Kanye or something and you apply that sound to. I don't know, the weekend song. And there's some really yeah. cool combination. And obviously none these are all just being doing being done without compensation to the artists, which I think this this is gonna kinda help with, hopefully. But it is a really interesting um thing because uh yeah, I mean people like to listen to covers of, of songs, but often, you know, this potentially opens the door for unlimited covers, uh where, yeah. where one artist, you know, sings or, or plays the song of a of a different band or artist. So um, mm. It kind of does open the the floodgates for for the types of music that um, that 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 people can listen to. Yeah, and I think people are um, people get trapped in the oh this won't be a thing you know whatever. I think for speech mm. for voice I think it will be a thing. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because um, uh, AI developed or or synthetic. Uh, no synthesized synthesized voices are already a, a massive thing. Like mm. um, if you if you uh, watch um, what is it the last episode of season two of the Mandalorian on Disney Plus the Star Wars show. Mm. Um, I'm gonna this this is a major spoiler. If anyone doesn't want to hear a spoiler right now, then <laughs> skip ahead by about one minute. <laughs> so you, you've been warned. There's a massive spoiler coming. But um, with that, okay, you're not listening if you don't want to know that I'm about to say the spoiler. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, but they bring back Luke Skywalker. <gasps> and How dare you they, spoil that? They, no, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. bring back Luke Skywalker, um, but it's a version of Mark Hamill that, you know, is the Return of the Jedi, the episode six version of him. And he sounds different now to what he did back then. He looks different now to what he did back then. So they use um, AI and deep fake to do the the look of him to rewind yep. the clock. And that's a little bit clunky. Mm. It's a little bit clunky when you look at it. It doesn't look exactly right yet. But the one thing that sound it sounds perfect. Mm. It sounds absolutely like Mark Hamill of 30 years ago. But the thing is, is that everybody thought... Because it's so perfect, everybody thought the voice was legit, but it was a hundred percent synthesized. None, nothing about the voice was original audio. Yeah, it's it was crazy. all synthesized, <laughs> and yeah. it sounded perfect. It, it sounded exactly like Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah it's insane. Anyway. And yeah, audio. Yeah, I guess I mean audio is just easier for for AI to to replicate than or to generate than 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 video. Um, both will probably get mm. incredibly good, but. Yeah, especially when you have artists that have, it's it's like artists and, and and public figures just have a ton of sound and and video out there of them that AI can just grab mm. and feed into the algorithm, and and um, yeah, it's it's very effective already. You know what I, th- what I think will be interesting, is how I think there will have to be some sort of disclaimer in a song, um, because the synthesis of voice is so accurate now, and you know, if if an it, let's say Drake opts in to this service, so he so you can use Drake's voice AI synthesized for your own song, and you can say featuring yeah. Drake. Yeah. But 
we all know how some music goes these days is there could be some pretty outrageous lyrics. Hmm. It's like, what if you just make Drake's synthesized voice, which sounds exactly like Drake, say some very mean things, <laughs> yeah, to put well, it like, lightly. There would have to be some sort of disclaimer that says this voice, you know, in this song, Drake's voice is, voice is not real, it's synthesized. Otherwise, you can make them say whatever the hell you want. Imagine them getting cancelled over something they didn't even say. Well, that speaks <laughs> to the wider issue that I think is going to come up faster than it'll be regulated, which is you, we kind of need disclaimers on not just music, but all kinds of content and whether it has any kind of AI. and any There, there kind of needs to be something in the metadata as well that, that indicates that. Yeah. I saw a case, I think it was from last year, might have been a little bit earlier, there was a woman who was, I think, either in a divorce filing with her husband or she was, um, it, or it, it was a criminal case against him for domestic violence. And she actually used um, AI to fake a phone call of him being abusive towards her. And they found this out later, that it was, that it was fake, that wow. she used a program that was just available on the internet. And they obviously were able to f- figure out that it, was, that, that it was fake. But it does call into question, uh, you know, potentially just evidence, things online. Can yeah. we really trust what we're going to be seeing uh, going forward? And it's, it's, a, it's a big problem that I don't think anybody knows how to solve yet. Um, mm. So, And it's, it, like everything else, technology-wise, it's probably going to uh, hit us before the reg- way before you know, any good regulation comes down. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, interesting. it's a new world. Yeah. Music executives liken the rise of AI-generated songs to the earlier days of Google-owned YouTube when users began adding popular songs to the soundtracks of the videos they created. The music industry spent years battling with YouTube over copyright infringement, but the two sides established a system that now pays the music industry about $2 billion a year for these user-generated videos. The issue was thrust into the spotlight earlier this year when an AI-produced song that mimicked the voices of Drake and The Weeknd went viral online. Universal Music, home to Drake, Taylor Swift and other popular musicians, had the song removed from streaming platforms over copyright infringement. Drake in April slammed another song that used AI to mimic his voice, calling it the final straw, while rapper Ice Cube has described such cloned tracks as demonic. So there you go. Wow. And it, it's interesting because, again, you kind of think, how are they going to stop this? <laughs> like, like the internet, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, on, I guess on Spotify and these official streaming platforms, they can potentially do stuff to, to fix it. But, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's just another kind of funnel that's been opened on the internet that, uh, yeah. as we've seen with, with everything, is just, uh, I mean, copyright in just all kinds of directions has been kind of... Uh, it's gotten much more difficult for, for uh, the original owner to, to track um, yep. in, in all kinds of things. Um, so yep. it's just kind of another floodgate on, on that aspect, I think, as well. Yeah. I think as long as you get the major players on board, the ma- like the Spotify's, SoundClouds, you know, YouTube Music, that if you have that, they have some sort of tick box saying you acknowledge or you disclaim that this has AI-generated voice in it and there's some sort of disclaimer... It's kind of like how we tick this has paid promotion on YouTube, that kind of thing. Yeah. As long as the big players are on board, that'll go a long way. But you're right. Like, there'll still be stuff out there. Yeah. That, it's just tough know, because- Floats like, around memes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I think YouTube probably has the best copyright tracking, ID tracking system out of any platform. And, you know, I mean, yeah. even with that, uh, you know, people use copyrighted material in all kinds of content all the time. That's and, true. and obviously, there's, yeah. there's fair use that, that's involved. 
Um, but, but you know, there's so much like crossover of using people's content and using pieces, using whole pieces of content all over the internet. Um, mm. So you have to imagine that, you know, maybe music is going to be, you know, a similar thing to, to that, um, that, that people will be able to, you know, add, um, you know, use, use AI in that way. Yeah. Chief executive of Warner Music said on Tuesday, um, with the right framework in place, AI could enable fans to pay their heroes the ultimate compliment through a new level of user-driven content, including new cover versions and mashups. That's what you were talking about ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he added that artists will will have the choice to opt in. There are some that may not like it, and that's totally fine. He said. So there you go. Wow, interesting. Yeah, well, have to have to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I thought this. I didn't know this story was going to be about that. I thought this story was going to be about uh, like Spotify generating music with AI, like complete, like for themselves. Oh, right, okay. Which is another thing that uh, I think a lot of people kind of think is a bit dystopian. Is the idea that mm. you know that they use an AI to track which sounds and which melodies and which, which, which rhythms or whatever pitches in voice uh, mm. people tend to listen to because it's just all data-driven and then yeah. create music that's Make completely that. artificial, um, which, is, which, yeah, I think is probably another thing we're likely going to see. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Although that would be good because maybe the recommended music will actually be be good <laughs> yeah I, that's the, eventually that's the one thing i'm praying for is for spotify's recommended to actually get good <laughs> yeah because uh yeah yeah all right hamish should we uh should we do some q a yeah uh let's uh let's, yeah, do, let's it. do some q a what have we got um as, as always, if you guys wanted to ask a question for Q&A, you can either drop the question in the what's it called spotify question box yeah on each episode, on the most recent episode, sorry, or you can drop us a comment on the most recent YouTube video version of the podcast. Um, yeah, they're the two different ways. Hmm. Um, okay, Hamish, where hmm. shall we begin? Um, uh, yeah, ask, ask me this first one. And I'll, uh, ask you the first one. All right, I shall ask you the first one. When investing in a company, what aspects should you look for that would help it be a more favorable investment? Mm. Oh, gosh, this will be a long list. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I'll just pick one that I think is probably okay. at the top of the list of things. If you, if, you, if you made me pick one thing. Can I guess? Um, yeah, you can have a guess. Yeah. I reckon return on investor capital. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. So if, you, if I had to pick one nice. thing out of price, so if, you, if you're setting price aside and you're just looking at the business, um, return on invested capital, uh, high return on invested capital compared to peers on a consistent basis is probably one of the best indicators that a business has something unique, is, is just a better sustainable business than, it, than its competition. And it, and it makes perfect sense. It's simply uh, why can this business generate more profit uh, compared to uh, its peers for the same amount of capital invested. So if you have two companies mm. manufacturing with a factory a certain product, but one company is able to price their product three times as high, so they have the same costs, everything's the same, the same employees, the same factory, the same plastic, the same materials, but one company is pricing their products three times as high, well, it's, and it's therefore generating a much higher return on capital, it's very likely they've got something unique, and in, in that, you know, for a physical product, it might be that they've got a brand and they're really good at marketing that product, and they've got a good ecosystem for it. Um, mm. 
Mm. Or maybe the business is is at a bigger scale and therefore their manufacturing is actually cheaper on a per product basis. So the price of the product is the same as competition, but the costs are lower, so the profits are higher. So return on invested capital is kind of like the the anchor for all businesses' competitive advantages. If they have a competitive advantage, you will see it in their ability to either lower their costs, lower their investments, or increase their profits you know, when compared to competition. So that that's what I would put right at the top of the mountain of, uh, of things to look for. Yeah. Um, I think I can just answer more generally. I mean, this there's obviously a massive long list of stuff you can look for. You can look at debt management. You can look at um, growth rates, making sure the company's still growing. I think just generally remember the four key pillars of Warren Buffett's investment approach. You have to understand the business. Then after that, you need to ensure they have a competitive advantage. Then after that, you need to ensure that the management operates with skill and integrity. And then lastly, you need to make sure that you're not overpaying for the shares. So you need to do a valuation and have a margin of safety and look for the shares at a margin of safety price. Yeah. Um, so they're really the four key pillars of which I'm currently making a course about. So stay tuned. Ooh, very exciting. Um, all righty. Should you want to send us a send us a question? Yeah. Uh, hi guys, got a question. Uh, how do you go about analysing the value of mergers and acquisition if a stock you own announces one? Do you have any? This is a good question. Any thoughts on that? I think. I think honestly, you've just got to go about it in exactly the same way. I mean, if they're if they're acquiring a company for a certain amount of money, go in and do the same approach, the 4M analysis, but for the company that they're acquiring. So mm. go in, try and understand it to the best of your ability. Granted, may, I guess it should, if, if you've already looked into a company that you're invested in, the company they're acquiring probably sits in the same industry. Sometimes not, but probably yes. So you might have a bit of a... Uh, good context around that business already um, yep. and then look see if it has some sort of competitive advantage but also analyze it from a perspective of how does this merger acquisition contribute to my investment my company's moat does it expand their moat um, then same thing have a, like one of the main reasons that companies get acquired is because they want the people in the company so look through the management of that company as well. Um, and then if you can, if it's a public company, try and do a little valuation. See if uh, like there will be a premium. There's always like a, what is it? I think it's normally like a 30% premium on the shares. Is that right? When, yeah. when, when public yeah. companies get acquired. Yeah. Um, so that you do, I guess you do have to factor that in. But, you know, make sure they're not horrifically overpaying for for the acquisition. But I honestly, I don't have any, like that would be my general advice, I think, but I don't have any hard and fast rules around this. It's not something I, I don't think I've encountered this. Have you encountered it? Is, it does, um, am I spitting crap or no, do you feel like I mean, that's... No, I mean, what you've said is is pretty much f- fair. You just kind of want to say, oh, if it's a business acquiring or, or merging with another company, you know, with as much data that's available, um, which might be very little if it's a private company, but yeah, just trying to assess it in in a, in a similar way. Um, I'll, I'll take a different approach to talk about this. I think it's also interesting yeah. to kind of look at uh, uh, whether companies are kind of serial acquirers. So their their whole history is that they basically just acquire businesses. You have to be very careful um, because it's kind of often a quick and easy way for a business to grow their their revenues or their or their profits at the expense of of their effectiveness or so their return on invested capital. 
And, you know, most most uh, executives or, or management teams are not Warren Buffett. They can't, you know, constantly find incredible deals and just keep acquiring companies. So a lot of the time it actually ends up destroying value for shareholders. And it really means that they often have no faith in their existing operations. If they're always looking to buy something new, then then they may have little faith in the ability to organically grow you know, their core business. There's exceptions to that. There's strategic advantages in some industries to um, being larger and just acquiring com- competing companies. Um, but yeah, that's just something to watch out for. If a business suddenly is doing a lot of acquisitions, it might be because they've run out of ideas of how to actually grow the business organically. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, alrighty. Well, I think that uh, that'll just about do us for today. Yeah. Thanks for the questions, guys. That was good. We've got a couple still to get through for next week. But yeah, if you have a question, you want to chuck it our way, then uh, head over to the most recent podcast and and uh, and leave us a comment or chuck it in the Spotify question box. But with that said, thanks everybody for tuning in. <clears throat> as per usual, thanks Hamish as always for no for joining me. That was a good chat today. We covered a lot of good topics. Hmm. Um, and yeah, thanks as always to uh, Seeking Alpha for sponsoring the podcast. And with that said. We are going to bounce out of here. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys.